0: Welcome everyone to convocation. Um, today we are joined by Doug Kaufman, who will be talking about climate justice from anxiety to action. Um, again, just a reminder: during these fifty minutes, we ask that you turn off or close cell phones and laptops. Uh, there will be a time, uh, sort of in the middle of the presentation, where you will pull out your lap- or pull out your phone. I mean, um, to do a little survey, uh, but for the rest of the time please have your attention up here. And um, we will go next to campus announcements. I think Brian will present.
1: Good morning, everyone. Um, because of how we are ending today, uh, we wanted to have campus announcements at the beginning. So let's see what's happening. Um, we know for sure that we have a lunch today, a talk back with Doug Kaufman, our convocation speaker. Earthkeepers are hosting that along with the um, Office of Faith and Spiritual Life. And you're all welcome, if you and your friends. And if you don't have a full um, meal plan, we have meal tickets for you. I can't see that, I'm gonna look this way and just see there's all kinds of things um, happening today. The Disclosure Documentary screening um, uh, was promoted by email and uh, you can see lacrosse uh, also happening tonight. This weekend, Pierre, Natasha and the Comet of 1812 opens again, it's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and you can see also um, let's go back. Back up. You can see also the interfaith understandings and stories meal, and all kinds of other stuff. The interview with Chief Frank Adams looks interesting to me. Friday it starts at noon. It's um, it's in the campus center strike conference room, but it's it's a Zoom conversation, and you can come and go. There's a lot of really interesting presentations that students are are offering the, the, um, the screening this evening and um, the Chief Frank Adams, do I have the right name? Yep, um, those are good examples of things that are coming out of students' coursework, graduate and undergrad. So take advantage of all that's happening um, this week and weekend. Back to Micah.
0: Thanks, Brian. Uh, Like I said, we're joined today by Doug Kaufman, who will be talking about climate justice from anxiety to action. Doug is Director of Pastoral Ecology with the Anabaptist Climate Collaborative, or ACC. Doug is a pastor and environmental activist who began as the Director of Pastoral Ecology at ACC in February 2018. In this role, he organizes and leads pastoral and leadership retreats on climate change, helping congregations reduce their carbon footprint and engage society more more broadly in climate action. He continues as a pastor of Benton Mennonite Church in Goshen, Indiana, a, a green patchwork congregation with a Mennonite creation care network. Doug first became passionate about creation care when he discovered that the Elkhart River where, he, where they often baptize sometimes, is compromised with too much manure. Since 2005, he has led a Hoosier River Watch group there. The congregation, whose vision includes pursuing God's peace at the river, has also led river cleanups, installed solar panels, includes recycling, and has a green group. Doug recently completed a THM in theology and ecology at the University of Toronto and has a an MDiv from Anabaptist Mennonite, Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Elkhart, Indiana. He is also trained as an Indiana Master Naturalist. He previously served as a conference minister with the Indiana-Michigan Mennonite Conference. Please welcome Doug to the stage.
2: Thank you It's good to be here with you on a beautiful day um, and to come to you with a fairly sensitive and and serious uh, topic because we are we're in the midst of a climate crisis that intersects with many other crises of our times, and yet it's more than one hundred and fifty years ago that the first woman to publish a scientific journal in physics, first American woman, uh, published an article, Eunice Newton Foote, Making the Connection Between Carbon Dioxide and Atmospheric Warming. But the burning of fossil fuels and how it connects with the greenhouse effect was something that really didn't enter the American consciousness until about 40 years ago, which is still a long time ago when NASA scientists James Hansen, testified before Congress. The greenhouse effect is the theory that 99.9% of climate studies confirm that certain gases in the atmosphere trap more of the sun's energy, causing the atmosphere to warm. The positive side are days like today when it's warmer than what it normally would be, and I come from a colder area, Indiana, where... People enjoy the warmth, but a warmer atmosphere is also a more volatile and dangerous atmosphere, and so I'm showing you a couple of images of this. It increases the frequency and intensity of storms, such as hurricanes and tornadoes, heat waves, drought, forest fires, more intense rain and flooding and rising sea levels. Yet in this time, we had 150 years when we first started the theory, we've had 40 years of knowing what we are facing. In this time, not only have we not decreased our carbon emissions, we have increased them. In fact, more than half of the carbon that's been pumped into the atmosphere has been pumped into it in the last 30 years, roughly since the time of the first Rio summit, The first international gathering to address climate change. And in that sense, it means that we are actually increasing the rate at which we increase the thickness of the greenhouse glass. So it's sobering work. And I'm here with you today because I care about climate justice. I talk about it a lot since I'm a pastor. I preach about it a lot. And the summer that Micah Buckwalter and other young people biked across the country for the Center for Sustainable Climate Solutions bike ride, I joined them for a week from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. The most intense day of biking was the day that I joined Micah's group. Uh, that day we were called the Pretty Boys, as you see here, and also Sierra. So he invited me here today because he knows that I care about climate change and because he cares about climate change. But people have different levels of interest and engagement on climate, and so I wanted to begin with a couple of questions to you, and so this is where we're moving to pulling out your phones and using them. I have two questions I'd like you to respond to using Mentimeter about how often do you talk about climate change daily, weekly, monthly, or less, and what word best describes your feelings about climate change? And so go Follow those directions. I assume you know what you're doing. <laughs> I it this morning. It's, it's okay. So far, we're, we're pretty even. Oh, now we're starting to... Yeah, and we're going to have a, a roving mic as we, as we do both of these questions uh, just in case you want to say something about why you answered the way that you did. So far the results are looking fairly uh, normal to me that not a lot of us talk about climate change daily but perhaps weekly or less. And um, I think let's go to the next question about what word best describes your feelings about climate change. And here we don't have a standout, but it looks like words around anxious, scared, nervous, hopeless, see it changes and then I lose track, Uh, worried. And um, one thing we'll get into and, and as we see here that, a lot of these are words that are, that are more negative words, you might say, or at least feelings that many of us don't like to have. But there are a few other words in there. I see important. Um, I see acceptance. Of course, that could go either way. I see energizing. Uh, I see hope. I'm guessing that at that size, that just means one person said those words. Some of the other negative words, doom, terror. It's changing rapidly. Land distribution is a, is a good one in there and, and not one that I often see. But I'm guessing that gets into some of the inequity around this. Well, what, uh, why did you say what you said? Does someone wanna offer to just make a few comments about either question? Why you talk about it as much or as little as you do? We're not gonna get any uh takers on this. <laughs> it's not the it's not the best room for discussions, is it? Yeah, why did you answer the way you did? We have somebody over there. Thank you. Um well
1: for my word, I put sad. And I said that because I don't really know what my feelings are about climate change other than it makes me sad to think
2: about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an experience that many of us have. Thank you. Does someone else want to say something?
1: I put monthly for the frequency of thinking about it, but it's probably somewhere between weekly and monthly, and I usually don't think about it until something hits the news, but it hits the news in so many ways in, uh, now uh, in terms of weather events. And um, so it's not just sort of news about climate activists or so, f- so forth. You, now, if you're paying attention to the news, it hits the news quite often.
2: Yeah, my, my impression is that it's in the news more often than, than it was even five years ago and they're making more connections, uh, connecting the dots on it. I, I think they're doing a better job, but it can go back to the earlier comment that when we hear some of these things it makes us sad because they're often disasters that, that are in the news, as you say, not, not feel-good stories. And one other person went to. All right, let's keep, let's keep going. Thank you. So there's a disconnect for many of us between what we know about and what we feel about, well, what we know about climate and what we feel and do about it, a kind of strange silence. It's difficult to talk about it. And while we often focus on the hard denial of, of certain conservatives, who claim that the science isn't true or that global warming isn't happening. There's also a soft denial that many of us practice because it's difficult to keep thinking about sad things all the time. And so it's, we know that it's happening. It's not that we don't think it's happening. It's just that it's, we just try to try to keep it out of our minds because we want to feel better. And in many ways, it's easy to ignore, and it doesn't affect our, our daily lives. So, so far, I've given you more of a gloom and doom uh, picture of climate change. And being in denial about climate helps us to avoid some of these difficult emotions that I have listed here. I call these troubling emotions not only because they are unpleasant, uh, but they also tend to keep us from engaging on climate. And while only one of these emotions is anxiety, in a way, all of them are related to our anxiety about the climate. So first, helplessness, which is a powerful emotion. Climate change is a super-wicked problem, meaning a highly complex social problem for which there's no clear solution, a need for extensive change in the sense that time is running out. So we naturally feel helpless. Response requires large-scale social and political engagement, and there's not a lot of trust or knowledge of the political system. Guilt. Climate communication tends to have strong associations with feelings of guilt. We feel guilty about being caught in a system that's destroying the planet, but we don't know how to escape it. One American college student, Jocelyn, talked about how no matter what you do, you're going to eco-hell. I feel like that guilt can be really overwhelming when all you hear about is what we're doing wrong. It's like we can maybe cut down on this or that but you're still going to eco-hell or whatever. Grief. Grief is the emotion that arises from the pain of loss. Only recently have psychotherapists started to talk about environmental grief specifically over the loss of ecological places. Some are even creating new words to describe some of these, like the Australian philosopher Glenn Albrecht who created this word soul nostalgia," putting solace and nostalgia Together, And it describes the distress that he noticed in people whose homes were being destroyed as they lived there as their homes were turned into a, a strip coal mine. But it also describes those whose island homes are disappearing as oceans rise or someone whose home disappears through mountaintop removal in Kentucky. Climate grief is a disenfranchised grief. It means that we don't know quite, we don't have social norms around what to do about it. Um, Sort of like when a couple is infertile or miscarriage, we don't know what to say. We don't have ways of responding to those things. And so um, it's harder for the people involved in this kind of grief to know what to do with it and problems start to arise for people. There's also anticipatory grief, as people realize that the future that they'd hoped for is disappearing because the present keeps changing under the presence of global warming. It's hard to find still stability. And so I encourage us to find ways to express our griefs around ecological losses. And at the end of Convo, we're actually going to uh, practice something along these lines. That's why you have a piece of paper with you. And then there's anxiety. Psychologists now talk about eco-anxiety, the generalized sense that the ecological foundations of existence are in the process of collapse. Anxiety is connected to worry and to fear. It's the most generalized and the most intense form of this. And while worry may be productive, as we're going to see soon, uh, the fear and anxiety tend not to be Uh, very productive Uh, it's great fear is great if there's a bear coming at you and you need to run away fast it's not as great if you need to think through a complicated problem and fear and anxiety tend to shut down good thinking so those are the emotions uh, the the negative the troubling emotions connected to climate change but there are other emotions connected to climate change we had a few positive words in the Mentimeter exercise and so these are all uh, emotions that aren't necessarily pleasant. I mean, some of them you may not feel like they're emotions that you want to have, but they're all emotions that tend to fuel engagement on climate change. And part of this comes out of the work of Anthony Lyserowitz and Nicholas Smith, who asked people uh, who are involved in climate issues, ask for their emotional state. So interest and, and curiosity. Being curious about something is obviously going to help. I'm enough of a geek that even though I'm a pastor, I I care about science. I always have, and I just find it to be an interesting area. Uh, It's related to surprise, and it's it's a knowledge emotion like surprise or confusion, and when we're curious about a subject, we just want to pursue it, and there's kind of a sweet spot If we think something's too hard for us to understand, we're probably not going to be very interested. Or if it's something that we feel like is too easy to understand, uh, we're not going to be all that interested. And then I, oops, I already mentioned uh, worry, uh, which is a more negative emotion. But negative emotions actually work a little more deeply in our psyche because we want to avoid them. And so... um, While fear and anxiety tend to shut down creative thinking, worry actually allows us to cogitate and do some deep processing and come up with some interesting solutions. So my goal is to get my anxiety down to worry. Personal efficacy. Uh, This is the sense that what we do matters. Uh, ben Brapson is a climate scientist at Indiana University that works with Mennonites a lot, and he says one thing he likes about Mennonites is how we emphasize what we do, that we um, have a strong sense that what we do is important. Hope is related to personal efficacy, the sense that what we do makes a difference. We need hope for the short term, hope for the long term, and Hope is a necessary ingredient when we're not sure about the outcome. If we're sure about something, we don't really need to hope. Hope's not the same as optimism. It goes a bit deeper. Pastoral theologian Panu Piccola talks about finding hope in the midst of tragedy. If we paint too pessimistic a picture of climate, people won't engage. But if we paint too optimistic a picture, people know that we're lying. I've actually added uh, two other emotions to the original list by Smith and Leisrowitz. Uh, Anger, uh, again, this is an emotion that some people see negatively, but anger actually tends to fuel action. Uh, And anger is often directed at those most responsible, and they need to be held accountable. Anger also tends to lead to less depression, less anxiety and stress, and it leads to collective action. And that's the kind of action that is needed to take on a complex social problem like the climate. And then finally, purpose. Uh, Being involved with something critical in life gives us a sense of purpose, much larger than ourselves, and this has been very empowering for me in my own personal experience with climate change. I feel like I'm doing my part with the gifts that I have, and it's a wonderful feeling to be doing that. I feel like I'm cooperating with the spirit of life, doing something critical to my future, the future of my family, the future of humans and all creatures. So I'm the first to recognize that none of us control our emotions. I certainly try and don't do very well. And so I can't simply tell you, um, you know, here are the emotions you should have and here are the emotions to try to avoid and that somehow you can go and do something about that. Uh, immediately or just change it like that but I hope I'm giving you permission to notice what you feel about climate change and to help you work at understanding what's important to you about climate what it tells you about yourself your relationship with the natural world we won't cure ourselves I don't think through mindfulness or taking antidepressants although I recommend both Uh, But we're talking about emotions that, oh, this got off. Um, We're talking about emotions that are there because we're in a tragic situation with the natural world. And we need to start behaving differently to change what is happening to the creation. But having said all that, I I do have a couple of things that I think help us to uh, both manage our emotions uh, but help us to move from anxiety to action. And this is where the the first one is to be part of a broader community that helps you engage. As individuals, we can't do much. Uh, Of course, Greta Thunberg would be an an individual who has done a lot, but part of what she's done is that she's the leader of a huge social movement. And she talks about experiencing climate anxiety. If you've seen some of her talks, she also clearly experiences climate anger. In my work as Director of Pastoral Ecology at the Anabaptist Climate Collaborative, I lead pastoral trainings about climate change, and I try to help pastors to think about how their congregation can be a community that's helping people engage on climate. And so it's important to do things like talk about it. I think it's important to pray about the climate. I've been part of groups through the Good Grief Network that is a kind of 10-step program that helps us talk about our emotions around climate change and how to work at it. A second thing for us to do is to be bifocal, and this is again from Panu Picola. Simultaneously keeping our eyes on the good news and the bad news, hope and tragedy, and I would say as a Christian minister, the suffering of the cross and the joy of the resurrection. Much about the changing climate is a frightening vision of disaster, but there's also opportunity. There are good things about responding and preventing more climate change. Emitting less carbon means cleaner air. Planting trees means more forest cover to find personal renewal and peace. And so this pattern of, of good news and bad news is part of my conviction about the life, uh, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus, the, sh- the apocalyptic shape of the Christ. Story. I believe in the gospel of all creatures, that Christ is present with all creation. Mourning with all creation, but also celebrating with all creation, and that God brings new growth even in the midst of death. This is related to the third area then, rituals. And this may be a surprising one to you, but, but I think rituals can help us work at things at a deeper level. Internal level than just talking about something and and to me and part of why the the ritual that we're going to do at the end here includes Ritual action things that we do not just things that we say and I think grieving ecological losses is critical for being able to move uh, Beyond the grief or be able to work with the grief be able to uh, keep the grief close, but not uh, too close And again, churches are places where we still do rituals of lament, but not when when there's a funeral, but we haven't done ecological lament. And so to me, moving towards rituals of ecological lament is important. And then finally, climate advocacy and activism. Uh, It's impossible to be self-righteous about environmental issues. Uh, We all, uh, particularly all of us who are privileged to be in university, have... Uh, a good bit of a carbon footprint. We all contribute to the ecological problems. I think it's important for us to individually work at our carbon footprints and to also work within the spheres of influence that we have. But even if every person became carbon neutral, we would have a major problem because industry and government contribute the majority of climate emissions, and so we need societal change, we need social and political change, we need policy change. And so I encourage you to get involved with groups like the Sunrise Movement and others who are socially and politically uh, active. I've most engaged in direct advocacy, uh, meeting with the offices of my senators and representatives, encouraging others to do the same. At the end of that climate ride that I mentioned at the beginning, Uh, we met Congress people. And here I am uh, with several other writers, including uh, Anna, who's uh, a recent graduate of of EMU. And we're we're part of the Indiana delegation, and we're meeting Senator Todd Young from Indiana. This work can seem slow. I can't be sure we're making a difference. And yet, as I have met with the senators and representatives' offices over the years, I notice change, I notice that they must listen enough to pay attention to some of the things that we've been asking about because I always try to ask a follow-up question from the previous time I was there. Uh, After I met with one of the other offices of of the other senator, uh, Mike Braun, he actually co-founded the Bipartisan Climate Caucus uh, in the Senate, and they asked me to sign on to to him doing that, and I think they were looking for a religious leader to support that. And I just feel good about being on the side, pushing him in the right direction. And then uh, last summer, uh, Micah was the advocacy intern with the Anabaptist Climate Collaborative, and he researched the critical minerals laws that probably need to be revised. Uh, Several other pastors uh, and I are here meeting with our representative, Rudy Yakum from the Elkhart, Indiana area. He owns a Tesla, enjoyed talking uh, to us about uh, batteries. And he also, I, I discovered that one of my longtime uh, friends, David Mosier, uh, pastor, is just a, he's great at talking to politicians. His family has the oldest car dealership in North America, and he was just good at both connecting with them and then also challenging them as they needed to be. So, the injustice of climate change is that those most affected by it are those who have contributed the least to the problem. By a kind of fluke of how the globe is, the highest emitters of carbon, the US, China, and Europe are in the temperate parts of the globe where the warming has created fewer problems. Uh, Other parts of the globe, the equatorial zones, the Arctic zones, they've done very little as far as contributing carbon emissions, but they are feeling already and have been feeling for a long time drastic effects. But even in places like the United States who experience fewer problems with global warming, it is also the poorest and the most marginalized who often get the worst effects. People in poverty, black, indigenous, and people of color live in parts of the communities least able to withstand the floodwaters, the hurricanes, the windstorms that come. Uh, often infrastructure is even set up in a way that, that those communities are most affected. They, they, take it, they take the water from the rich areas and send it towards the poor areas and just in the way that things are designed. Floods overwhelm their homes and if you're homeless and without transportation how do you escape from a coming hurricane? So there's much uh, you know I, I titled this climate justice I tend to think that climate injustice is almost a better term because that's what we mostly see but we move towards climate justice and I think that's why it's important to be talking to people like Rudy Yakum, Todd Young, to try to bring to their minds the broader problems. So there are reasons to hope, there are reasons to despair. To paraphrase a tale of two cities, we are in the worst of times, we are in the best of times. This can be a time when we come together and care for each other and and care for the climate That's what I would encourage each of you to do. Find what's in your heart, what's important to you, things that you can bring to climate, no matter what your area of interest. Take what you're passionate about and make a connection. Do your best and say your prayers. I wanted to highlight that this summer, Mennonite Church USA is joining with the Anabaptist Climate Collaborative. And Mennonite Creation Care Network, and sponsoring a youth and young adult climate summit. It's a one day event at the end of the Mennonite Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. We'll have a speaker talking about emotional and spiritual dimensions of climate change, others talking on global and racial justice, telling inspiring stories from across the globe, inspiring us towards action. So uh, we'll move into our time of, uh, of lament. We, we technically have two minutes, but so I don't know if anyone wants to, we, sh- we should maybe just keep moving. And we, and we, and we can use lunchtime if you want to ask me questions. You can do that. Uh, come, come to lunch. So um, as we move towards this ritual of lament and hope, I'll just line out for you uh, what will happen and then you can follow along. But as we move towards our closing, I'll give you a little bit of time to reflect on something you're sad about related to the natural world or climate change and to write it down on the slip of paper that you should have. And I guess raise your hand if you don't have a slip of paper. or And then uh, we will exit. I don't know if you notice that there's a hole out here. Uh, we, they, they let us dig a hole. And... um We'll gather around that hole and read from some scripture and prayer. And then I'll invite some of you, uh, depending on on how many of us are there, to uh, share what you wrote. But whether you share what you write verbally or not, I'll invite all of you to take your uh, slip of paper and to put it into the hole. And we will plant our laments there and offer a prayer. And then after pausing, because I think, I forget when when Convocation officially ends, maybe at 10.55. So we'll pause for those who need to leave at the end of conversation. And for those who want to stay, we'll we'll continue just a little bit longer with this litany of hope. And we'll end that time inviting people to respond to something that inspires me about the natural world right now is. So that's what we're about to do. I will give you four minutes to... um, to reflect and write something on on your paper before we exit. And when we're on exiting, uh, you'll need to scan out when you exit.